too quick. But I want to just talk to you tonight about something I've been sensing. We've been sensing as pastors uh, over our, our body, and maybe it's over the whole body of Christ, but I'm sensing a lot of uh, discouragement um, right now that's been going on. And I know we've kind of gone through some things ourselves. And, um, you know, I want to encourage you with something. I, I, I found this little story, and it just it made me cry because I was like, wow, this is so... This is so pertinent to what we're going through right now. But I want to talk about the subtle grip, the subtle grip of discouragement. If you've been disappointed, you need to be reappointed on, to stay on your course. And every one of us deals with some kind of disappointment or discouragement at one time or another. But the one person that the devil cannot defeat is the one who refuses to quit. Amen? And... Uh, I, that's kind of one of my things is I, we, we're kind of fighters. We just don't quit. We just don't give up. We're kind of bullheaded. Anybody bullheaded in the room? <laughs> you just kind of, you know, you're just not going to lay down and quit. And um, But the Lord was just speaking to me about this. Um, and I saw this quote. It says, our greatest weaknesses lie when we give up. And uh, if you're quick to give up, then that is a weakness. That is not a strength. Um, but when you pray, you lay hold of things, and when you praise, you win battles. And so I want to talk to you tonight about a little bit about winning some battles. Um, you know, when we pray, we lift up prayer to God. We're we're laying hold on on some things, but when we're praise, uh, when we praise, we're winning a battle. And that's why praise and worship is so important and so vital uh, to what we do. Amen. But. Um, <clears throat> Crisis will arise uh, in every, every one of our lives. Every one of us have dealt with crises, right? It doesn't mean that it's not going to come. Um, but faith doesn't dismiss you from them, but it writes the outcome. And so we, we hold on. We hold fast to what we know is true. We hold on to what the Word says is true. Um, and there's some things I want to talk to you tonight about. Uh, in regards to this, but let's look at 2 Corinthians. I don't think I have this one up there, 2 Corinthians 4, 17. This one kind of came to me later on, but it says in the Amplified, it says, Paul was saying, for our light and momentary affliction, this slight distress of the passing hour. And I, I just want to focus on those two things that he said. He said it's light, and then he gave a time frame. He gave a timeline on it. He said, and and it's it's just a momentary. It's there's a timeline on this. And I want to encourage you. There's some things that, you know, we can walk through, we can go through. You know, we had some, a family member pass away last year, and there's uh, a temptation to, to grieve, and, and there's a season for grieving, and it's important we grieve. But um, grief can lay a hold of your heart and can keep you there for a long time. And grief doesn't just come from a death. It can come from a loss of a, a job. It can come from a loss of a relationship. It can come from, you know, many things. We, we grieve over a lot of different things. And a lot of times grief will try to hold on to our hearts and try to uh, determine the, the course of our life from that point forward. Grief doesn't have to do that. In Isaiah 50, I think it's 53.4, did I get that right? Uh, is that Jesus, he took our griefs for us. Uh, and God made sure that, that, that he saw that and had it written in the Bible because we weren't there had it written down so that we would have make note of grief has been dealt with on the cross. Amen? And so it's, when Paul says here, it's a momentary affliction. It's light and it's a momentary. He decided what it was going to be. He made the call. 
It didn't come to him and him get overwhelmed by it and say, oh, this is more than I can handle. I'm in the depths of despair. No, he said this is a light and momentary affliction. And he decided how long it was going to last in his life, right? And so um, um, the word needs to define our response in hard times. The word needs to, re- to define our response, not our circumstances. Amen. Uh, Jesus redeemed us from that grief and that sorrow. And even some regrets and things that have happened in our life, we might be grieving over those things. Maybe we feel like we missed it in some area. Um, We don't need to stay in that place. We don't need to look back and say the what if. What if I would have done this different? What if I would have done that different? Maybe I missed God here. What, What about that? That is an area where the enemy wants to tack on grief and keep us in that place, keep a hold, keep a stronghold over our hearts and keep us in a place where we're just in a a place of despair. And that's uh, connected to grief and sorrow. And that's not God's will for us. Amen. You know, um, there are are people who run races, um, Olympians, for instance, when they run races, it's not about, they don't win their race just because they're an Olympian and they ran, right? There's silver, there's gold, there's different medals that they win. They run it because of how they ran it, not because they ran a race. And how you're running your race right now is important. How we're running this race is important to God. And there are people up in the bandstands of heaven cheering us on because they know how important it is for for running our race. I truly believe that, and we know this in the word, that this time here is a wisp, it's a vapor. And I truly believe that what we're doing right now is a proving time, almost a testing time for what we are going to gain up there. Because he's, the word talks about it, that he'll put us over cities. We'll be rulers over cities, teaching and doing different things. I believe this right here is a trying time for what will be given when we arrive in heaven. That's our reward. That's our great reward. But just because an Olympian runs a race doesn't mean that he is a great runner. I mean, yeah, he made, he made some strides. He got somewhere. He probably uh, gave himself to a good instructor, a good teacher. He did some training. He did some things. He had to sacrifice some things to run that race. But how well he ran that race was most important, right? And that's how it is for us. It's important how we run our race. And Philippians 3.12 says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, he didn't boast about how, where he was. He didn't say, I've already attained it. I've, I'm already arrived. I've already got it all. But he said um, that I may lay a hold of that for which Christ has also laid hold of, of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. I've not already gotten it. I'm not a, I haven't gotten there yet. Uh, but one thing I do, one thing I do, and, and, and it was important enough for him to make this point. One thing I do, I forget those things which are behind, and I reach toward those things which are ahead. He's not just living in the past. He's not living uh, behind him on what's, what he's done, his victories or his defeats. He's not living with regrets. He's not living with shame. He's not living with rejection. He's not living in that place where, you know, he messed up. And we all know what Paul did. He was a persecutor of Christians. He didn't stay in that place. No, he said, I'm going to press on to what God has before me. So when we're running this race, it's important that we're not just thinking about what's going on now, what we did before, what was happening yesterday, but we're pressing forward to what God has next. Amen? 
We have to have vision for what's next. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So what the enemy wants to do is get us to think about all the stuff that isn't. I like what Pastor Steve has said before, that we think on these things, uh, think on good things. We think on what is, not what isn't. We think we meditate and focus our mind on what is and not on what isn't. God won't deliver you out of place that you keep feeding. You might be in a place of despair or a pit or something that you might be going through in some area in your life. I don't know what everybody goes through. Um, but sometimes we can get into a pit in our mind. We start thinking about things and despairing over something. And if you're feeding that all the time, <clears throat> if you're dwelling on it all the time, you're feeding it. And God's not going to deliver you. He's not going to be able to deliver you out of something that you're feeding. Amen. you got to be aware of what you're feeding and, and feed what helps rescue you and get you out of that place of despair. Amen? So we can sit around and feel sorry for ourselves and thank God, why me? You know, what, put, put all the whys up and, and um, be focused on the negative things instead of the positive things. But we got to get in the flow of the Holy Ghost, the flow of the Spirit. The flow of the Spirit, there's an anointing and there's a grace to run our race. There's a grace for the race. Amen? And sometimes we very quickly and easily step out of that grace for the race when we meditate on what's causing despair in our lives. See, all around us right now, there's things that are taking place. The enemy is, is throwing ideas and thoughts every day, and it's up to us to focus on whether we're going to accept them or reject them. You know, we all know the scripture. I think I've got it down. I might be getting out of order. It's okay. Second uh, Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. So we walk... In, we, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. You all know this scripture. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We're not warring against carnal people, people, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. There's some strongholds that we need to deal with. Amen? And the word says, casting down, I like what the Amplified says, vain imaginations, because our, our mind has imaginations about what might be going on in our life, and they're vain imaginations if they don't line up with the word, and they're not from the Spirit, amen? Casting down vain imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Well, what do we know about God? Well, he loves us. He wants the best for us. He has a plan for our lives. He, he wants good, not evil. He wants, to be fruit, he wants us to be fruitful. He wants us to multiply. He wants there to be an increase in our lives. Amen? And so uh, if we're bringing every thought into captivity, it's coming into the captivity, into the obedience of what Christ has said about us. Amen? So I, I want to read this story to you. Let me take a drink. Sorry. I'll slurp it. No, I'm good. I'll make you want some. This is how it should be when we're uh, feasting on the word. We should make people want some. <laughs> Makes you thirsty for it, right? That's how we should live. Okay, so I'm going to read this story to you. This, this story is, is uh, really interesting. Uh, I once heard a story about Satan's garage sale. Satan advertised that he was selling off many of his tools. He put on display some of his best items. Many demons showed up to see what the devil was getting rid of that day. They came from all around to see what they could purchase to improve their shameful skills. Each tool sold almost as quickly as it was placed upon the display tables. Satan had carefully marked the price upon each tool. Anger, $100. Resentment, $400. Hatred, 
$600, etc. Anger was selling fairly low, so common, so plain, and so effective. Greed brought a big price, and price drove bids to high levels. Multiple copies of the jealousy tool were hot items. Lust, as always, was at a bargain basement price. <laughs> I think that's funny. There were tools that would make it easy to tear others down for use as stepping stones. Some lenses for magnifying one's own importance, and if you looked through them the other way, they could be used to belittle others. There was an assortment of gardening implements to help one's pride to grow by leaps and bounds. The rake of scorn, the shovel of jealousy, along with the tools of gossip and backbiting, of selfishness and of apathy. All were pleasing to the eye and came complete with fabulous promises and guarantees of prosperity. One visitor, as he browsed, noticed two well-worn, nondescript tools on a table in one corner. He found it curious that those two tools had no price tag. When he asked why, Satan just laughed and said, well, that's because I use them so much. If they weren't so plain-looking, people might see them for what they are. This seemed to please the old man, and he snatched up the tools and held them up to his chest. And with a glint in his eye, he asked the devil, how much for these? I'm sorry, those tools aren't for sale, the devil replied. Without hesitation, the man said, I'll pay you any amount. The devil narrowed his eyes and hissed, I told you those tools are not for sale, nor will I ever sell them. They are the most useful tools I own. Without them, I wouldn't be half as effective in my work. With those tools alone, I can accomplish my every task. Now, good day, sir. I'm surprised the devil said good day. Anyway, <laughs> disappointed. I know this is not real, but disappointed. The man looked once more at the shiny tools, then slowly placed them back on the table in the corner. With almost a whisper, he said to the devil, if I can't buy them, would you at least tell me their names? A slow and wicked grin grew across the devil's face. Satan pointed to the two tools and said, you see, that one's doubt and that one's discouragement. And those will work when nothing else will. The devil continued, they are most useful to me. Uh, they are more useful to me than any of the other tools. When I can't bring down my victims with the rest of the tools, I use doubt and discouragement. With those tools alone, I can accomplish my every task. Perplexed, the old man wandered out loud. What's so special about those tools? Nothing paralyzes a person Nothing stops someone in their tracks like discouragement and doubt, re resulting in hopelessness. Discouragement and doubt are no respecters of persons. They keep the unemployed unemployed, the homeless homeless, the sick sick. They can even draw the most powerful ministry to its knees. When overcome with discouragement and doubt, that leads to hopelessness. Persons cannot pray, they cannot worship, they, cannot, they become a victim of their environment, Discouragement and doubt drain their victims of courage, vision, faith, expectation, and the will to make a difference in the kingdom of God. If I can get people discouraged and full of doubt, then I have successfully neutralized them. They are then left with only enough energy to feel hopeless and sorry for themselves. It's written by Anonymous. Discouragement is not the absence of adequacy but the absence of courage, one man said. What is the root of discouragement? 
The verb discourage has roots in the French word discourageur, however you want to say it, which comes from dis, meaning away, and courage. So when you discourage someone, you can think of it as taking his courage or enthusiasm away. Just like in sports, when, when, when you see someone playing a sport, do people just sit on the sidelines and not say anything? Do they, are they quiet? Or are they there saying something? What if they're losing? Are they quiet? No, they're cheering each other on. They're saying something to each other. They're encouraging one another. They're there. They're present. They're, they're absolutely cheering each other on and saying, I'm here for you. Attaboy, you can do this. You can win, even if they're losing. I believe this is what the body of Christ is called to be and do for each other. We're called to be there for each other. We're called to be present. We're called to encourage. And we're called to say something to each other, to help one another, to spur each other on. In Joshua 1, 1 through 6, and I'm just going to read this really quickly. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, Moses, my minister, is dead. So now arise, take his place, go over to Jordan, you all of his people in the land which I'm giving to them, the Israelites. Every place which the sole of your foot shall tread, that have I given to you, and I promised it to Moses. Now listen, Moses had just died. Moses had an anger problem. He had just gone up, you know, we know the story. He went up and saw God face to face. He gives him the Ten Commandments. He comes down. He gets mad at the people. I think he got discouraged because the people were in the waiting place, waiting on God, and they weren't good enough, uh, no, I don't say good enough, they weren't willing enough to wait on God, so they decided to do something in and of their own strength. And y'all know the story, they created their own God. Moses comes down, and he gets discouraged, and he says, what in the world are you doing? And he throws down those tablets. Yet God is still believing enough in what he's doing. He calls him back up to the mountain. And I, I heard somebody talk about this one time. What do you think Moses thought about himself when he walked back up to that, up that mountain for the second time, feeling like a loser, like he had really missed it, saw those pieces of the tablet laying on the ground that he had destroyed from the first time and had to go back up that hill and, and up that mountain and say, God, here I am again. And yet, he didn't even make it to the promised land because he did it wrong. God told him to do it a certain way, and he got angry, and he hit the rock. His anger always drove him, and his discouragement always drove him away from the plan of God for his life. So here Joshua is. He's got to pick up the, pe the pieces and, you know, okay. And God says, every place you tread your foot, you can have that land. Don't you think he might have had a little bit of, I don't know about this, Moses didn't do it. I don't know if I can do it. I, you know, his leader didn't do it. And here he's taking the place. And God's saying, you're going to do it. I don't know if I, if I would have been him, I would have said, eh, I don't know. And the people came against Moses, his leader, their leader. They were always coming down on him. And Joshua gets to step up in it and say, okay, here I am. I'm the leader now. But what does the word tell us? It says, from the wilderness in this Lebanon to the great river of Euphrates, all the lands of Hittites and the great Mediterranean Sea on the west shall be yours. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Verse 6 says, be strong, be strong, be confident, and be of good courage. Good courage. 
of talking about being discouraged. He said, be of good courage, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers. And then on down in Joshua 7, 1, 7, it says, only you, he's telling him something. He's given him a promise. It's a command. He says, you be strong and very courageous that you may do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Turn not from it to the right or the left, but that, that you may prosper wherever you go. So here he gives him another promise. He gives him a command, and then he gives him a promise. He, he says, you'll possess the land, but I need you to be strong, and I need you to be courageous, and I need you to do what I'm telling you to do. And so then in verse 8, it says, this book of the law shall not depart. Then he gives him another command. The book of the law shall not depart, but you'll meditate on it day and night, and you'll observe to do according to all that's written in it, and you'll, it'll make your way prosperous. He gave him two promises right there about prosperity. It'll make your way prosper. And, and then in the verse 7, that you may prosper wherever you go. And then you shall deal wisely and have good success. There it is again. Success. Good success. I would call that prosperity. If I have success in every area, spirit, soul, and body, that's being prosperous. That's success. Have I not commanded you? It's a command. Be strong, vigorous, and very courageous. Very courageous is opposite of discouraged. Be not afraid. Neither be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Don't you think that he is with us wherever we go? Don't you think that same command is for us? That we're to be strong and very courageous. Don't you think that same promise is there for us? That if we meditate on the word day and night, that we'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of the living water. We'll, we'll develop, we'll grow, we'll, we'll have much success, we'll be prosperous. And then the very last, I think it's the last verse, verse 18, he ends it. He ends the whole chapter by saying, only be strong, vigorous, and of good courage. How many times was that in that one chapter? He said to be courageous. Four times, is it? And, in, and coupled in within that, about three times, he said, you'll be prosperous. You'll be a success. Now, I'm not focused on the whole prosperity thing right now. What I'm focused on is being a success. And what that tells me is I'm fulfilling the plan of God for my life. Because I'm not so concerned about being a success unless it involves fulfilling the plan of God for my life. Because I don't really care what this world has to offer me. When I stand before the, the Lord and he asks me what I've done, that's all I really care about is that I can say, I did what you gave me to do. And then he says, let's go. Let's do some more. Because I don't think that's the end. I think this is just the beginning. This is our proving ground. I truly believe this, that this is our time where the Lord is going to find out where he's going to put us when we get up there. <laughs> Amen. How diligent we are, how how much we trust him, how much we rest in him, and how obedient we are to what he has for us. Psalm 34, I, look, I opened up the word yesterday, and I was kind of, you know, these thoughts were kind of rolling in my spirit, and I saw this, and the Lord, I really felt like he said, this is for you today. He said, yet when holy lovers of God cry out to him with all their hearts, the Lord will hear them and come to rescue them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to all whose hearts are crushed by pain, and he is always ready to restore the repentant one. Even when bad things happen to the good godly ones, the Lord saves them 
and not let them be defeated by what they face. He doesn't let us be defeated by what we face when we're looking to him, when we cry out to him, when we're looking to him with all of our hearts. He hears us. He rescues us. He helps us in our troubles. Amen? So don't let your heart go there. Trust God. John 14, 1 says, do not let your hearts be troubled, distressed, or agitated. You believe in and adhere to and trust in, rely on God, believe in and adhere and trust in, rely also on me. That was Jesus. So the quality of our circumstances should never determine the stability of our hearts. Let me say that again. The quality of our circumstances should never determine the stability of our hearts. Our hearts should always be stable. I, I had them sing that song, that last song, because... Um, I love the beginning of it, you know, when we're, we're declaring strong in the Lord and the power of his might, I will stand. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, the strength of the Lord, the strength of his hand comes in and lifts us up and helps us and enables us. But there's a part we play. He has his part. We have our part, as we always say. There's reward to patient endurance. Hebrews 10, 35 says, Do not therefore fling away your fearless confidence, for it carries a great and glorious compensation of reward. I believe this is part of our reward. When we're, when we're standing firm and we're confident in what he's called us to do, we're not letting go of what the word has promised us. When we're facing uh, financial difficulty, when we're facing you know, bodily difficulty, uh, health issues, whatever it is, um, you know, I know there's all kinds of things going on in the world today. For you have need of steadfast patience and endurance. Steadfast patience and endurance. So that you may perform and fully accomplish the will of God. So the will of God is right smack dab in the middle of this verse for a reason. Because the enemy wants to cause us to, to uh, come off of our stand our confidence stand with what we believe the word is true in our lives. If he can get us off that course, he can get us uh, in a place where we're wayward, where we're thinking about some other things. Let me read to you, if you will, let me read to you some things that I, I just kind of looked up. Signs of discouragement. Signs, and I don't want to focus too much on this because I want to focus on the answer. But signs of discouragement can include loss of interest, uh, lethargic attitudes, Weariness, a growing sense of hopelessness. Discouragement happens to dedicated, committed, and sincere people. But sometimes things happen that cause a gradual slide into a state of waning enthusiasm and motivation. Sometimes you just want to get up. You don't want to get up, go, or do anything, or engage in anything. Discouragement can come in the busyness of doing any job, raising children, pursue of any pursuit of any career. It can... It cannot, it, that's supposed to be, it can. It can even affect ministries. Ultimately, it's after your faith, your faith in God, in yourself, and in mankind. Have you ever noticed when you become discouraged, you not only you sort of let go of your faith, but you also sort of let go of your faith in mankind. You, your trust uh, is changed. Um, you become more inward. You isolate. Uh, you become bitter. And you question everything. And it's a, a very dangerous place for us, but it's a place where the enemy, I believe, is getting a lot of people in this hour. Discouragement is a spirit, and it comes often when you do the right things, but you get little or no result. 
How many have had that happen in your life? Been steady at something? It's one of the devil's tools to make you feel bad about yourself and to hinder your progress and stop you from being successful. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, and 9, we are hedged in, pressed on every side, troubled and oppressed in every way, but not cramped or crushed. We suffer embarrassment and are perplexed and unable to find a way out, but not driven to despair. <laughs> I like how he says that. Here he is in prison, and he's saying we're crushed, but we're not, we're, we're not, tr we're troubled on every side. We're pressed, but we're not crushed. We're, we're embarrassed by what's going on right now. We're perplexed, but we can't find a way out, but we're not driven to despair. You know why? Because he had a choice to despair. He had a choice to either despair, despair or to trust in God. We are pursued and hard driven, but not deserted to stand alone. We are struck down to the ground, but never struck out and destroyed. Our hope is in him. Amen. Isaiah 40 says, he gives power to the faint and weary, and to him who has no might, he increases strength, causing it to multiply and making it to abound. Our strength comes from the Lord. And one of the things I wanted to talk about tonight was, I think it's important for us to remember that um, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so if the enemy is attacking or there's some things that are coming against us in the lines of despair or discouragement, then you bet he's coming after your strength. And you bet he's coming after your joy. And how does, what does the word say that we finish our course with? We finish our course with joy, right? But does joy just come? Does it just accommodate a race? Or is it, you know, we talked about it with the ladies the other night about feelings. That we have different feelings that take place. And our feelings, we're not to be led by them. We're to be led by our spirit. But our feelings will assist what our spirit is being led to do. And so if I choose to have joy in a difficult situation, then you bet my feelings are going to accommodate if I tell them to. If I choose to despair and be in, 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 uh, uh, depressed over a situation, you bet my feelings will accommodate, right? So I'm being led by my spirit to choose the direction of where I need to go in the spirit. The spirit will accommodate us if we'll choose his way. See, God has a way for us. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of it is, is death. We've got to choose his way, not our way. Amen? And so it's important that we choose joy when we're in the middle of a situation that seems to be overwhelming. What does discouragement do to a person? Discouragement causes sensations of bitterness or potentially uh, deficiency of interest in exercises you once appreciated. It can prompt an assortment of profound and actual issues and may diminish your capacity to flourish when you once were gaining ground. It can cause lethargy and bitterness. I said that already, where you were once grateful. It is a trap of the enemy to get you off course and to get your eyes on the impossibilities. So I know Pastor Steve talked about this last week. Uh, he was encouraging me and telling me about it, how it has to be a work of the Spirit. It's not something, you know, that we choose joy, but we get in that place of being in his presence, and something happens in his presence that overwhelms us when we ignite or initiate his presence by praying in the spirit. You guys, did you sense just a difference? Even when we were, after we were in worship, we started praying in the Holy Ghost. When we do that, we stir up a gift. There's a gift on the inside of us that we can stir up. And with that gift comes joy, peace. It's part of the fruit. 
It helps us get through things. It helps us overcome. It's the strength of the Lord. He accommodates us. But do we access that? Are we accessing what's available to us? Do we have the tool belt on when we're going through something? And are we focused on the problem? Are we rehearsing in our mind everything that's going on and focusing on the negative and the things that are making us feel bad and the things that are not instead of what are? Those are the traps of the enemy. He strengthens us and hardens us to difficulties. Isaiah 41.10. Fear not. There is nothing to fear for I am with you. Do not look around in terror and be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen and harden you to difficulties. I love that. He says, I will strengthen you and harden you to difficulties. But we can't do it by ourselves. He says, I will help you. Yes, I will hold you up and retain you with my victorious right hand of righteousness and justice. So isn't that good to know that when we look to him that he can help us, he can harden us to difficulties. And the way we do that is, is by getting in that place of joy because there's strength there. If we're not accessing joy, then we're not accessing strength. Amen? And I would say quite the opposite is so. If we're accessing depression and a downcast spirit and despair, then we're accessing weakness. And it'll take us out. So we, we are called to be encouragers to one another. First Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage, admonish, exhort one another, and edify and strengthen and build up one another just as you are doing. So, and this is something we talked about again Monday with the ladies. Uh, you know, seems like a lot of people have sort of uh, isolated and gotten on their own after COVID. It kind of put us in a place where we're not uh, socially, except if you're involved in church, People, a lot of people aren't connected to people anymore. There was a lady in our neighborhood, that, an older lady that passed away, and nobody knew she passed away. She was disconnected, disconnected from people. And I think it's really important that we as the body of Christ up our game in being connected with people. Who hasn't been here? Who do we need to reach out to? Who do we need to send a text to? Who do we need to call? We've got lots of folks that are going through things right now. I don't know if everybody knows what's going on. But we need to reach out and touch someone. We need to be the body, the hands and the feet. And not just care about what we're doing and what our plans are. But what's somebody else going through? What might they need? What might they need? Uh, 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 just a voice of encouragement. You know, a scripture. Whatever it is, and I know, I know some of y'all do this already. I'm not coming down on anybody. I'm just giving you what the Holy Ghost gave to me. Because I think it's important that we're called to be encouragers, but that we do it. <laughs> that we do it, amen? Because it is a work of the Spirit that's working through us, flowing through us to reach out to one another. I skipped Romans 15, 13. May the God of your hope so fill you with all joy and peace in believing. The joy and peace comes in believing through the experience of our faith. So if we're not believing, then maybe there's no hope that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound and be overflowing, bubbling over with hope. How many want to be overflowing with hope? Bubbling over with hope. I don't have this one in here, but let me look at this real quick. Uh, Nehemiah, you guys know this verse. Nehemiah 8, 10. Then Ezra told him, uh, told them, go your way, 
eat the fat, drink the sweet drink, and send portions to him for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. And be not grieved and depressed. Be not grieved and depressed. He's telling them, don't, don't partake of being in that place of grief, despair, depression. For the joy of the Lord is your strength and it's your stronghold. I like that because it's, you know, the enemy wants to come in and put strongholds into our lives if we'll allow him to. But the joy of the Lord is to be the stronghold that we're held on to, held with. Amen? Because there's strength in that place. And I want to just encourage you, if you're feeling weak, if you're feeling despairing, if you've been wayward with your thoughts, if, you know, we should, we should have a disciplined mind where we're thinking on good things. And when those other thoughts come in, we cast them aside. We take hold of them and cast them away like the word says. Casting down vain imaginations. We need to have a disciplined mind. If these thoughts are coming in and causing us to think on things that aren't good, they're not true, they're not lovely, they're not a good report, then I would say that we need to spend a little more time in the presence of the Lord, praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit. There's the transformation of your mind. You know, Pastor Steve taught on this, uh, that there's, there, it's important that there's the renewal of our minds because there's transformation that takes place. But it's, not, it's, it's through the Word, but it's by the Spirit. It's, it, the Word of God brings change, but the Spirit of God. I can read the Word, read the Word. How many have ever just read, and you don't know what you read after that? You can just read, read, read. Well, do you think the Holy Spirit's really able to do much with that if you're, you're just kind of off in la-la land and you're just kind of reading. I mean, I'm sure he can do whatever, but I, I think it would be better if we just take it a step up and read and really study that there would be an urgency in our spirit to study out the word and find out what it is he has for us today. That we would hunger and thirst after more. Find out more revelation. I want to know more. And in the process of that, there's an opening of our spirit and there's a pouring out of his spirit into our hearts, an openness of the heart, like he taught on, that brings this revelation of who he is in our life. And that outpouring of his spirit will bring such a place of strength and encouragement. Encouragement comes from the Lord first and foremost. And if we're not getting it from him, how can we give it away? We've got to get it from him. You know, we always say to our, our praise team, you can't take people where you haven't been, or we've said it before, you can't take people where you haven't been. We have to be the same as Christians. We can't take people where we haven't been. You know, Hunter was encouraging us, it's the goodness of God that draws men to repentance. There has to be some goodness seeping out of us. If we're coming in bearing our cross and overburdened with everything that we're going through and our minds are, are not renewed and we're focused on everything that is wrong in our lives and we're not happy at all, there's no joy evident on our face. How is that the goodness of God that could possibly be drawing men to this place? You see what I'm saying? And so it's important uh, that we understand that there, there is an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal our courage, our encouragement. And I want to just encourage you. You know, David, you all know the story about David. He, he was, you know, a man after God's own heart. And here David is. He's called out. The kings went out to, to fight. And David wasn't where he was supposed to be that day. 
It's important we're, we're, we are where we're supposed to be when God's called us. Amen? And David wasn't where he was supposed to be that day, and he missed God. And he went up on a rooftop and saw Bathsheba bathing. I think it's odd that her name was Bathsheba. Um, haha. But, um, and you know the story. He had her brought over and impregnated her. And then uh, all the things that he, hoops that he jumped through to try to kill her husband. And, or, well, first of all, to make it look like that was his baby. Because there's no DNA testing that back then. Uh, you know, and, um, and that didn't work because the man was such a, a man of character. He, he wouldn't bend. He wouldn't do it. And then he sends a letter to him. And then he gets sent out on the front lines. And he gets killed. What great lengths did David go to stay in that place where he was disobeying God? And he stayed there for about a year, I think, until he actually repented. And then, of course, he made her his wife. But, man, what a place of despair and, I think, discouragement. And it can take that road of discouragement can take you places where you never meant to go. It can open up your heart to things you never meant to say or never meant to look at. It can cause you to turn your back on people that you never meant to turn your back on. It's so vital that we keep our course straight and we stay encouraged like Joshua was told. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. And this is an hour right now. We're getting so close. And like I was encouraging the ladies, I've been seeing it. The, the wide road is getting wider. There's so much more being accepted. Everybody's doing their own thing. And the narrow way is getting even more narrow. And few are those who find it. Because it's found because you're seeking after it. You're focused on it. You're looking for it. You are determined to stay on that narrow path. Or you can just slip over onto the wide path very easily. It's a narrow way. And there are narrow places for us to walk in right now. And it's a place of grace. It's a place of safety. It's a place of joy. And it's a place of strength. So we need to encourage ourselves in the Lord. Amen? Encourage each other in the Lord. Let's keep our focus on what we're here for. What God's called us to. Amen? What's he called you to? What, what, what has he laid in your heart? What's the most important thing in your life? Is him. And his call on your life, what he's called you to do.